بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على المبعوث رحمة للعالمين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد إن شاء الله إن أو سيريز عن the book of wisdoms or the kitab al-hikam of Ibn Ata'illah al-Iskandari with the commentary of Shaykh Abdullah Gangohi. We are on page 214, which is wisdom number, uh, wisdom number 62. We started off last time, we gave a general overview of it last time. There's a few points which are remaining from there, which we'll be covering, inshallah, this time in this session. So, Ibn Ata'illah says, Anta hurrun mimma anta anhu ayis wa'abdun lima anta lahu tamir. A really simple idea that works in many different ways, and we gave those meanings in the last session. In your despairing, you are a free man. But in your coveting, you are a slave. Despairing from that which attracts you, um, that which you, everybody else has to have, or you think you need to have as well. As soon as you give up on that, that I don't need to be there, I don't need to have that. Then suddenly you become a free man because no longer are you dependent on those things. No longer do you have to make sacrifices to achieve those things. And likewise, if you still covet it, if the desire of that is still in your heart very strongly and you must achieve it under any circumstances and you will, you're willing to do a lot to get it, then it means that you're a slave of it. So we explained that last time. And today we continue the discussion that one of the antidotes to this is the concept of wara. Wara, waw, ra, ain. That's what I want to focus on today. Wara essentially means scrupulousness. Scrupulousness means really, it, this, this idea of scrupulousness is explained in many different ways and a very high level of it, which may be actually very difficult for us to achieve. And I'm going to mention this from the beginning. Because what happens is that sometimes when we read about the high levels of uh, spiritual experience, spiritual being, high levels of insaniya and human beings, you see the human being is an animal. I mean the human, it comes from the genus of the animals. So we have flesh and blood and we have lives, we have souls, just like all other animals. So when, they, when we're categorized, we're categorized as part of the animal kingdom, the living beings, not inanimate beings. Now, the philosophers right from the time of Aristotle and then it came down over the centuries and even many, many Muslim philosophers, Muslim scholars, theo theologians, etc. like Imam Ghazali, etc. They took this concept of... Uh, they took the same concept, concept of separating out the insan from other animals. So we are all the same in terms of being haywan. In terms of being haywan, in terms of being from the animal kingdom as such, in terms of living beings with flesh and blood and so on, we're all the same. So in the genus, in that category, we're, we're the same as all other animals. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given, وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي آدَمَ as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the children of Adam are special, are very special. And we've been honored in many different ways. So now after the general category, in order to separate out different animals from one another and to create a distinction between them, they use subcategory, subcategorization. So for the horse, they have nahik, and for others, they have 
other animals, muftarish and uh, muftaris and other things like that. For the human, they've chosen natik. Natik, nataqa, which essentially means to speak, I think with a conscience, with consciously speak, premeditated speech, have communication in that sense. And um, this is pretty much being used to describe the insan as to separate the insan, the human being, from other, other members of the animal kingdom. However, this is actually a very reductionist idea. The human is a lot more. In fact, the human has probably the best of the characteristics, best of the qualities, best of the capabilities of the different types of animals. Because if you look at the entire animal kingdom, the living beings, because inanimate beings, uh, you know, they, they're, they're generally stationary, they're generally under control. Stationary objects don't control other things, generally speaking. It's the moving beings, the ones with flesh and blood, that tend to subjugate things and bring things under their control. And among all of that, uh, human beings are those, even though we're not necessarily larger, bigger than certain animals. Certain animals are much bigger, much more powerful, have a lot more strength than us. But it's the human beings that pretty much subjugate everything. And that's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's created us in that way and given us that. So how can you just say that the human is just, especially when we know that even dolphins and others, they also create, they also communicate and have quite an extensive vocabulary. So uh, the better idea of the human being in terms of characterization is, uh, is al-haywan al-kamil, is the perfect animal, is the complete, the most accomplished animal, the most accomplished being in this world. That's what a human is. That is a human supposed to be. So now this ties in with all of that. The way of spirituality, which is the way of Islam. And it's that aspect of Islam which seeks to perfect people from a spiritual perspective, which, from the, say, uh, for, uh, which in, from the perspective of the hereafter, from the perspective of our infinite life, is probably one of the most important aspects of Islam. Our spirituality, meaning our realm inside. For example, there's somebody who mentioned that is, he runs a company and it's a particular type of company in which he deals with a lot of very high-end clientele. It's about branding and promotion and things of that nature. And mashallah, he's a good young Muslim and he says, sometimes when I speak to these people, when I speak to certain people who are just in the money, like essentially intoxicated with the money almost. I'm just saying this from what I understood. He says, you can't believe they're human beings. They are human beings. They're just like us. They look like us. But in terms of the way they operate, the way they think, their world perspective, their outlook, the way they do things, the way they communicate, it seems like they are just taken over by something. They're maghloob. They are dominated by something. They're not the normal human. They're not like normal human beings that you will interact with on a day-to-day -day who have the same kind of emotions and feelings. They have emotions, but their emotions are very, very limited. Uh, it seems again. This is just an assessment. This is just an assessment. And what this reminds you of is what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says in the Quran regarding those. The, the Quran says regarding those who take interest, who consume interest, who are in uh, unlawful uh, haram uh, un, un, and unlawful dealings, that 
they are like يَتَخَبَّطُهُ الشَّيْطَانُ مِنَ الْمَسِّ It is like those who shaitan has basically put into this state of khabt where they don't really, they're, they're in this uncertain kind of state where they're in this state of no stability where they focus as a human being, they're not in a stable state. This is because they, they have said that riba and bay, bay is just like, riba is just like bay, meaning usury is just like bay. Now the focus is not on usury here, but it's basically anything, when you get too much into it of the dunya, this is what it does to you. It intoxicates you in a certain way, so it takes us away from the balance of what a human being is supposed to be in terms of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had wanted us to be. Now the difficulty we have is that when there's so many people off that balance, then that off the balance status becomes the standard. Then we don't think of ourselves as being off balance. We don't think of us, ourselves as being abnormal. See, when everybody's greedy about something, everybody's in the same rat race, including sometimes people like us who are supposed to be leading the spiritual, you know, then it's just, how, do you, how does anybody know better? How does anybody know that's not the standard? This is the difficulty. That's why it's very easy then for us to condemn people who have the right balance according to Allah as being extreme, too orthodox, too strict, too this and too that. Now I'm making this very difficult because this is going to cause a lot of confusion. What is the right balance? But this instability is good because then we can seek out what is in the Quran Sunnah, what have we been taught? What do the classics say about this thing? And those that pretty much everybody agrees of the past people who departed this world in a righteous way, in a praiseworthy way, what was their status? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not left us in the lurch. He's given us many, many ways of deciding what is good and what is bad. And if it's confusing and not very clear for us to go directly to Quran Sunnah sometimes because of interpretations, well, let us look at how people who have been respected and revered for their piety, how did they practice Islam? We, we, have, we have a lot to work on. So the insan al-kamil, the perfect human being, the accomplished human being in terms of what Allah wants, is going to be very different from what many people in the capitalist world would want. Because there the entire focus is money and that can't be that. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that we created you to worship us, then surely that must be one of the, the highest motives. Is how our entire life can become worship. See, when a lot of people hear that, when a lot of people hear this, that I created you for my worship, how can we pray all day, they say? How can we, how can we be fasting every day? Because we've reduced worship to just the obligatory worships. As though it's just those rituals which are worship. Worship is a lot more vast than that. You see, the word worship, maybe that's the problem. Another verse is, another, another translation is devotion. Devotion. 
which then makes it a bit more personal that I am devoting myself. I'm expressing a devotion. And to be honest, our, what we understand from the Quran is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises those who are constantly remembering Him. Both, or not just, in a, not just sitting down or in a particular posture, but standing, sitting and on their sides when they're lying down. This gives us a better idea of what worship, what devotion is speaking about. Subhanallah, the hadith, I've mentioned this several times before, which really confused me in the beginning is, it said that dua is the kernel of worship, is the essence of worship. And I wondered for so long that how is it the kernel of worship when it seems like a very personal selfish act. I'm asking Allah for giving me this or giving me that. That's for myself. It's not an offering. But it is an offering if you do it right. To understand and to recognize that I'm nothing and Allah has everything and I'm in absolute need of Allah. So that instead of asking others and hankering towards others, we're asking Allah. That's a devotion. Our entire life needs to become a devotion in every sense. Even our eating needs to become a devotion. So we can enjoy our... It doesn't mean that our food will become tasteless and that we must not... We must fight our taste buds and we must not enjoy good food. It's just we need to thank Allah when we're having it and eat it with the right reason. And of course, eat healthily. That is part of devotion so that we're not abusing the body. How can something when you're abusing the body become a devotion? How can overeating be a devotion? That's israf. That's zulm. That's suppression. That's putting things in the wrong place. Especially when the Prophet ﷺ said to us to the, the stomach being the worst of the vessels that we can fill. Worst of the containers that we could put things into over and abundant, over and beyond what is required. So now you get an understanding of that the perfect human being that Allah wants us to be is in every aspect. Not just in a business sense. Not just in what we earn. Not just in what we consume. But in every aspect and everything of it, every moment of it, as long as we can be conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that would be inshallah helpful. So, what is that balance? What is that balance? And then even within that balance, there are those who man manage to fulfill it exceptionally well, which is very difficult for the majority of people who are even trying. And that's understandable. So that's what I wanted to prelude here before the next discussion, which talks about a very, very high level of scrupulousness, of particularity, of uh, refined understanding of the faith and relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't want you to hear these things and think, I'm not like that, so let me just give up. Because I'm telling you, this is all part of the journey. It's a journey at the end of the day. We hope to reach a high level. But if we don't, we can try, we can die trying. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will inshallah raise us on our intentions. Because we've seen many hadith about this. That those people who, are, who have made an effort to go in the right direction. If their death caught up with them and their life ended. And it stopped and it prevented their, them getting to their destination. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very generous. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks at us according to our intentions and our final sealing state, which will determine how we are in the hereafter, 
is very, very important. And that state needs to be a state of trying. That we die trying. There's somebody who I was discussing just a few days ago about how many qadha prayers they have. And they reckon that they might have 10 years of it, which sounds like a daunting task. 10 years, 5, 10, that's 10 years, 10 times 365 times, five, times 6. Do that sum, right? That's a huge amount of prayers. And it sounds huge. But subhanAllah, then if I can give you examples of another friend of mine who's seven years, he's nearly finished now. He had seven years of qadha, he's nearly finished. And it's a possibility, and it's only about, it's probably about 50 something, 52, 53. He started about 10 years ago, or I don't know how long he started ago. But it's all possible. We have to die trying. That's our job in this world. We may not lead, lead to uh, get to perfection, but at least we die in the right state. We die working for Allah. We die working for Allah. That's our mujahada. So this is what a poet says. رأيت القناعة رأس الغنى فصرت بأذيالها ممتسك فألبسني عزها حلة يمر الزمان ولا تنتهك فصرت غنيا بلا درهم آتيه على الناس تيه الملك Essentially what he's saying is that I saw, I eventually discovered that contentment and satisfaction with what I have and being thankful for what I have and not hankering for more but satisfying myself with what I have. That was the element, that was the essence of, that was the essence of real richness and true richness. So I held fast on to it. He's got a lot of personification and metaphor in there, but I'm just going to give you the, the, the main point. I held on to it very, very strongly. So then, when that happened, it actually garbed me with honor. It garbed me, it basically covered me with a garment of honor. So now I became honorable. Because no longer was I in the rat race anymore. You know, I became an honorable individual, the insan al-kamil, the human being, the perfect human being, when I gave up on these things. I now became wealthy and enriched without having a dirham, without the abundant amount of dollars or a big bank balance. I became wealthy. And I could approach people just like a king could approach people. Because I was satisfied with what I have. And this is what they call al-ghina al-akbar. This is the highest form of richness. This is what they call wara. This is another concept of wara, which is scrupulousness. Being very particular about what is right and what is wrong and avoiding that which is wrong because you don't feel you need it anymore or because there's doubt in it. But this, on this high level, it's, this is the scrupulousness of, uh, for us, the scrupulousness would just be that we try to avoid as much wrong as possible and we try not to do things which are doubtful. And these people, they go to a much more higher level. The wara and the scrupulousness of the very, very elect people, there's very few people who even will understand that and comprehend that. That's why I'm prefacing this from before that this is a very high level. He says, what they would do is they never, never want to find any kind of satisfaction with anybody else but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like if they ever feel satisfied, it has to be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They don't want to Incline in their love to anything but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
That doesn't mean that they're going to treat everybody bad and say, I don't love you. That means that if anybody is loved, is loved also for Allah. Because that's loving Allah. When you love Allah and you love someone for the sake of Allah, it's, it's because you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shaykh Uthman ibn Ashura, one of the people of the past, he says that once I left Baghdad, he was in Baghdad, he says, I was going to Mosul. I was going to Mosul, out of Baghdad. And as I left Baghdad, you know, in your own hometown, you know how to react, you know which places to go, which places not to go, because it's all familiar. You've kind of put a routine to yourself that I know if I go there, that's not a very good place or whatever. I, I can, you can control yourself in a sense. So he says that uh, when I got out, I, the, the, the entire dunya with all of its glamour, the world with all of its glamour, it started to basically beckon towards, you know, to um, confront me and beckon towards itself. I started seeing, you know, the various different clothing and it's like a person's not going anywhere and suddenly he goes to the airport. There's all these people who are dressed up and, you know, they're going on holidays or, or whatever. It gets really, really difficult. So I tried to ignore it. I tried to stay away from it. Meaning I tried to deal with it by veiling myself from it. Alhamdulillah. I'm glad I didn't jump into it, he says. But I tried to avoid it. I made my best. So then, paradise, with all of its hoor and palaces and everything, manifested, manifested itself for me. Now how? He had an experience. I don't know how. right? Whether that be in his dream, or he just had these visions, or whatever the case is. That I was given the glad tidings of paradise. So I started seeing paradise. Now for most of us, that would be wonderful. A paradise dream is an amazing dream, right? Something that we would celebrate. Paradise started to now beckon, its, uh, you know, beckon towards me with its hoor and palaces and its lakes and its fruits and everything. Falam ashtaghil biha. But I did not take that on either. I did not get too occupied and obsessed with that either. Now you see, this is where the difference is between us like if we even saw paradise once in our dream, that would be wonderful. Or anything that even resembles paradise. Right? It's now when I even avoided that, because I'm in the world right now, this world is a, a place of effort. He says, even when I said, no, that's not my objective. فَقِيلَ لِي يَا Uthman. So then it was announced to me, Uthman, لَوْ وَقَفْتَ مَعَ الْأُولَى Had you stayed with the first in the first manifestation of the dunya had you just stayed there and got involved then we would have prevented you from the second one you would never have had that second experience of paradise but had you now stayed in the second phase and got involved in that and started enjoying that then we would have blocked you from us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as I said, this is very difficult for us to even comprehend when, you have, when we have no experience of these things. But now the voice is telling him, فَهَا نَحْنُ لَكْ Now we are yours. Meaning we are for you. وَقِسْتُكَ مِنَ الدَّارَيْنِ يَأْتِيكَ And your proportion and your share of both those worlds will also come to you now. So had we gotten involved in it first directly, then you would have missed out on the later ones. But now that you've got to the last stage, you'll also get the, the first ones from us. Now that's a, a difficult thing, but that is maybe one day, maybe one day inshallah.
Thereafter that, there's a Shaykh Abdul Rahman al-Maghribi. He says once he was, he, he used to live in um, one of the, the eastern edge of Alexandria, Sharqay uh, Iskandaria. He was in one of the eastern sides of Alexandria in Egypt. And he said, I decided to, do make, uh, decided to perform the Hajj, so I went for Hajj. When I finished the Hajj, I was going to go back to Iskandaria, go back home, go back to uh, Alexandria. When suddenly I heard a, an intuition, an intuitive voice, or however it came to him, I heard a voice saying to me that uh, next year you're going to be with us again. It means next year you're going to perform the Hajj again. What a, what, what a wonderful experience that would have been. You know, when you go for Hajj and you think you get, you get this kind of uh, sign or you get this voice saying that you're going to do Hajj again next year. Like, you know, you believe in it. It's something, you know, because when we finish Hajj and we say, Inshallah, we'll do this again. You know, we say that to one another. But this is where you actually believe in it. And he says, so I said to myself that if I am going to be here next year anyway, then let me not go back to Alexandria. And in those days, you could make those decisions. There were no visa problems and things like that. You just had to earn a bit of living and carry on and just stay somewhere. You know, it was very different in those days. So I thought, I'm not going to stay in Mecca. Let me just go down south to Yemen. Just down the road in the Jazeera to Arab. Let me go to Yemen, right? So I went to Aden, to Aden, what they call it, what they call it today. And he says, I was just walking on the coast of Aden one day, Right? I need to pass my year, learn something, do something. And suddenly I see that, mashallah, they've got all of these uh, merchants. They're taking out their supplies, their stock, their merchandise. And, you know, they're, they're doing good business. So, and then I look towards uh, the sea and I see this guy who's uh, performing a miracle on the ocean. Uh, you know, he's taken out his prayer mat and he's performing this miracle on there. And I just said to myself that... Uh, Look at my state. I'm neither here, neither there. Like, I can't do good business. I'm not, I'm not a successful businessman. I'm not a successful wali of Allah either. This is something he just said to himself, like, you know, let me get somewhere. So he says, suddenly I heard this voice saying, Don't worry. Whoever doesn't think himself to be capable of this world, or the paradise, the akhirah, whatever, then they, they have to be capable for us. That should, be your, that should be your objective. Now, that's not something that if we don't even have this idea in our mind, that's not something that is probably even going to come to us. It'd be too confusing for us. Is it shaitan telling us this, we'd think? Because a lot of people, when they find out first that your focus should be Allah and not paradise, they're like, no, but Allah talks about paradise in the Quran. Yes, he does. And I explained that in, in the tafsir over and over again. That is a very good incentive, and yes, paradise is there. But our higher objective must be Allah, which includes paradise and everything, but our objective is not paradise. Our objective is the satisfaction of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If somebody doesn't even have that paradigm in their mind, and it's very difficult for that experience, the people who reach this kind of stage, this kind of particularity, this kind of focus and scrupulousness, this kind of enriched uh, focus, being the human being, the perfect human being, then these people will take directly from Allah. Their connection with Allah will become so strong because they don't see anything but Allah. For them, everything comes from Allah now. And that is one of the descriptions of the 70 people who will enter paradise without a question. They don't 
their focus is never on the asbab. They may take a paracetamol if they've got a headache. But when they're taking that paracetamol, they're going to say, the cure is from Allah. In fact, when they're eating, you know, if, if you're very thirsty right now, and you need a glass of water, when you're drinking that glass of water, what is our understanding at that moment? Is that this glass of water is going to satiate my thirst? That's normal, isn't it? But how many of us are there who, when drinking that glass of water, are saying, it's not this water, it's actually Allah, every time we drink a glass of water. When you're feeling very hungry, give me something to eat. I've only got a sandwich, no problem. I eat the sandwich because I need something to eat. My entire focus is on the sandwich that is going to benefit me. And it is, it is, because Allah has kept it like that. But it's actually Allah who's going to satiate you. Because sometimes you end up eating and you still don't feel satisfied. Satisfaction is a whole mental idea of what satiation is. It's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, how many of us are there that every time they eat, it's like, this is from Allah. Allah is satisfying me. Where we go beyond that, we acknowledge the suburb, we acknowledge the means, we acknowledge the tool, we acknowledge the, the act, we acknowledge the emotion. But we remember Allah each of these times. And, and I think it's not difficult you know, the, the way to do this is just to, even after the fact, remember Allah. One of the things that's supposed to help us in this regard is the du'as. The du'as for each occasion, if they're read with meaning. Because it's all a dhikr of Allah, it's to remind us before we're eating, before everything. Even before rela um, intimate relationships with the spouse. Even then there's a du'a there. Even then Allah must be remembered. Even then. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran regarding that state, that you, you, you have to fear Allah and you have to know that you're going to be soon meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for a person who does this, they, 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 they will become so clear about their faith and about their path that they will, when they speak, they'll speak for the sake of Allah. They'll speak with the trust in Allah. They, whenever they do any deed, they will do it for the sake of Allah. They will do it with the assistance of Allah. And they will be, they'll have a lot of clarity in why they're doing what they're doing. Their mistakes will become less. Their mistakes and their errors will be reduced. This is the, the, the very high level of wara of the abdal and the siddiqeen. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very special state. It's a very special state. The benefit of it is that a person gains absolute conviction and they become, they gain an extremely strong and close relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they become totally satisfied in their heart. It doesn't matter what's happening around them, they're just so satisfied with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that nothing perturbs them, depression doesn't come to them, anxieties like that don't come to them. They just know in every state that they're fine. So, for example, it says that there's a, one of the people, he wanted to find somebody like this. Like, I want to see somebody who's like this so maybe I can benefit from them. So he gathered a lot of money and then he decided that uh, let me go to these people who uh, are faqirs, are poor and uh, not... Uh, what he means by the faqir is those who are claiming 
that they are some kind of pious person. You get that in other countries. There's these majzoobs, these people who want to stay away. They don't. They just do some dhikr. They just uh, show themselves to be righteous, and then people just give them some money and that. So he says, let me find out if I can find them among these people. So I started with this money, and I started giving out money. And when I would be giving the money, I, I would be saying that uh, this is quite uh, a denigration, a humiliation for you to be taking this money, but they would still take it. So I couldn't find the person I was looking for until one day, there was one person I gave the money, and I made the same statement, I made the same comment in front of him. He said, no, I'm taking this, but I'm not taking it from you. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala providing it to me. So he said, I could finally see in this person that he, his focus was on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was not superficial. For such people, you know, they never have any, they would never have any greed or hope from another human being. They will interact with them. They will go and buy some bread because, I mean, you buy bread from a bakery. You know, they're not going to start making everything like even their toothbrush. They're going to make themselves. No. Well, I mean, they could do a miswak, I guess. Right. But you know what I'm saying? They're using people, obviously. They're interacting with other human beings. But their focus is that it's all from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's all from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To such a degree that... Uh, if they ever even did think that even a bit of hope came in their mind for, about somebody else and that person gave them something, they would not accept it. This is just their way of self-discipline. It wouldn't be haram to take it. Like for example, if somebody's coming in with a bag and I think, mashallah, he's bringing a gift for me. You guys didn't bring any gifts, did you? Right? But if somebody came and it seems like a gift, I'm like, yeah, mashallah, I'm going to get a gift today. They would then refuse to take that gift. Just because... They, they want to train themselves that if it comes, then it must be purely for Allah that I take it. But if I thought already, yes, it's coming, my nafs is allowed, uh, I've allowed my nafs because I've not trained it enough to do that, right? Then that's not good enough, so I need to refuse it. So, Shaykh Abu Madian, a great um, awliya of Algeria, present day Algeria. There's a guy who came to him with some wheat, which is very important in those days. I mean, today if somebody brought you wheat, like, what kind of a gift is that? Right? But these were staples that you needed. So as he was coming, my nafs said something. That, Look, where is this coming from? Right? It wasn't like from Allah directly or whatever the case was. So he says, when he brought it, I said to my nafs, I recognized, I said, Ya adu Allah, O enemy of Allah. I know exactly where this is from now. And then he told some of his students who were sitting there, take this wheat and go and, go and distribute it among the fuqara. I can't have it. It's halal. It's not haram. It's just done for personal discipline. And you, know, you can't impose that discipline on anybody else. It's for yourself only. I think it's about Sheikh Ashraf Ali Tanmi Hakim al -Ummat. Similar kind of thing happened. Somebody came with a gift. And when he came and presented it, he said, no, I can't take it. He said, because I had ishraf and nafs. So now, I said, no, 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 take it, it's okay, whatever. It's person discipline. So he went away with it. In this particular case, the person just walked away with it. He said, okay, fine, no problem. Then he comes back a few moments later, 
And he said, now you can take it because now you didn't know I was going to come back to give it to you. He says, okay, I can take it now. These are not haram things to do. These are personal discipline, spiritual disciplines to do. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us some of this. We ask Allah to create for us balance in our life. To really understand the right balance in things. So I'm going to finish off this reading here of Sheikh Abdullah Gangohi to see how he explains this. In your despairing you are a free man, but in your coveting you are a slave. When desire and greed for an object arises in the heart, a strong relationship develops with it and the heart becomes enslaved to it. This enslavement brings in its wake a variety of difficulties. In the bid for its acquisition then, man bears the indignity of many a disgrace. But they think it's all justified because the end justifies the means in that case. If the heart despairs of all things, it attains freedom from them and achieves perpetual peace and comfort. I don't need to have it, I'm satisfied. I don't need to go and do extra work. I don't need to do Uber at night. You know, I don't need to do these things, they think. It does not behoove a Muslim, therefore, to disgrace himself in the pursuit of the lowly things of the world and to forget the hereafter. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept that from us and make it easy for us. اللهم أنت السلام ومنك السلام تبارك هذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم اغفر لنا وارحمنا وعافنا واهدنا وارزقنا اللهم اهدنا واهدي بنا واجعلنا هداة لمن اهتدى اللهم إنا نسألك العفو والعافية في الدين والدنيا والآخرة اللهم إنا نسألك تمام العافية ودوام العافية والشكر على العافية يا الله we ask you for your special mercy O oh Allah, we ask you for your forgiveness. We ask you for your tawfiq and divine enablement. O oh Allah, grant us balance. Make us good human beings. Make us the accomplished human being. O oh Allah, make us the good insan, the perfect insan. O oh Allah, make us how you would like us to be. O oh Allah, make us how you would like to see good human beings. O oh Allah, grant us your love and the love of those whose love benefits are with you. O oh Allah, make your love more beloved to us than even cold water, cool water on a hot day. O oh Allah, we ask that you grant us those actions which you are satisfied with and that which you are pleased with. O oh Allah, bless us. O oh Allah, bless us and grant us, grant us and our families and O oh Allah, the entire, uh, entire humanity, O oh Allah, to be good human beings. O oh Allah, to have a spiritual well-being. O oh Allah, remove the spiritual deficiencies that we have, the spiritual ailments that we have. O oh Allah, cure us both from the physical maladies and the physical pandemics. And, O oh Allah, also from the spiritual pandemics that we have been dealing with. O oh Allah, we ask that you strengthen us. You strengthen us and grant us basira, grant us insight, grant us true understanding, true perspective. O oh Allah, allow us to see the truth as the truth and allow us to follow it. And to see the wrong as the wrong and allow us to abstain from it. O oh Allah, bless all of those who are working for the deen and accept us also to be workers of the deen. For to be... To be uh, doing something for our religion in whatever capacity we can and whatever situation we are in. Oh Allah, except from us. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahimeen.